Welcome to the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. This season, we're focusing on what nonprofit leadership looks like in this next normal. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode, you'll get to join me in conversation with some of my friends and peers in the Canadian nonprofit space who are changemakers and groundbreakers across Canada and beyond. Let's jump in. Friends, I am so grateful that you are joining me for this conversation today with Cheryl Nemhard. Um, she is a TV show host, a podcast host, a vlogger, a speaker, an author, a, a, an artist. She is an artist and a creative and so many things. Um, and she is a friend who is also teaching me so much about being an ally in these times. And so I... This is going to be not an easy conversation, but it's an important one. And I am so glad that you're joining us today. Um, and welcome, Cheryl. Thank you for choosing to so do this. So glad to be here with my girl, Ellen. I'm excited to talk to your listeners. This is so good. So Cheryl, tell us who you are. I mean, I kind of said, you've got a lot of hats. You're a busy <laughs> person. So tell us who you are, what you really do, and, and why you love it. Uh, you know, I, I, there, I was forced one time uh, by a leader that I really look up to, to sort of truncate my life in a real 30 second tight sort of elevator pitch. And I, I, I did it in six words. I, if I can sum my life up, I speak, I create, and I advocate. <laughs> it helps mm, me remember. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so I am a speaker. I speak, uh, you know, uh, praise be to God, I speak internationally. And that's really a lot of uh, what I do when I when I'm not in my home base, um, my I guess my audience would be at risk youth, um, um, women, and uh, at the odd time I get to sort of speak to the general populace. Um, in my creating, I started off as a playwright and a filmmaker, uh, but with intention. Uh, so I was known as a social justice artist. Um, I would write plays and films that related to the tough topics uh, from a faith lens, which was unique and different and, and you know, not heard of. Uh, we're seeing more of that now. Um, but I felt like it was important to address the things that we tend to sweep under the rug mm. and to put an eye on it, to give some context to it, to challenge people to step in, to make change in it. Um, and their role, what their part is to play in all of that. And so that's that's kind of where things sort of took off for me and um, opened other doors such as uh, television. And I co-host on a beautiful show called See Here Love. It, and I always describe it like this. It's like The View, but faith-based. It's, it's, it's sort of women talking about the issues that matter to us and uh, lifting one another up. And I'm just, I'm so honored. Uh, I've, I've been there. I'm an OG been there from day one <laughs> and we're now in season six right we're in season six and then the last piece is my advocacy work which has really uh who knew <laughs> right Ellen who knew at uh, 2020 it has taken off to to levels I didn't ex expect and um understanding you know uh, you know there's a biblical version and a worldly version the biblical version is to whom much is given much is required. Uh, I think in Spider-Man, you know, uh, with much power comes much responsibility. And so I understand the weight of speaking into this moment. And uh, I've just been really blessed uh, that there's a lot of people listening to what I have to say. So I've used that opportunity to teach, mm -hmm. to enlighten, uh, maybe sometimes to, sh to shine some harsh lenses of truth but mostly to equip. I feel like we, I feel like we have the tools, we can make this happen. And so that advocacy work really takes me from at-risk youth uh, right through to racial issues. Uh, I just wanna shout out um, one of the biggest groups that I do work for, which is Brave. Uh, Brave is an at-risk girls uh, global organization for at-risk girls between ages of 12 to 18. And I was able to co uh, to author a book for them, um, a journal, which is actually open for the public. It's been it's been going really well. I call it um, "This Is Us," brave. Mm -hmm. This is us, and yeah, and so that's kind of what I do. Uh, it it takes me down many paths, but it's all it's all to 
um, stand for the oppressed and the marginalized. Mm -hmm. And and 2020 has, in some ways, it's changed everything. Everything. Um, because, I mean, it, from the very basics of like, we're not traveling all over the place and speaking and doing those sorts of things, but it's changed everything because all of the messages have changed. Like I've seen a radical shift yeah. in how we're talking even today than a year ago. Um, a year ago, and I don't know if you heard it, but I did an interview with Joy Byers, who is a dear friend. And we talked a little bit about race and we started conversation because we're two trusted friends. We could have the conversation. And that conversation was a start. But today, like we're neck deep in this conversation, aren't we? We like are. We are knee deep. <laughs> I want to. I want to sort of set the tone for our conversation because I think it's important. We tend to have the, the these adverse reactions to discomfort. We don't want to go there. Mm. We don't want to talk about it. It's icky. Ew, ew, ew. No, no, no. Mm. Um, but I want us to see this as a, a divine moment. Amen. I believe that um, God has placed humanity on the operating table of life. And he has opened us up and he has shown us ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The ugly, the bad, the woundedness, the cancers of race, all of it. He has shown us ourselves and he is allowing a moment of surgery. And in order to, as you know, to operate on anything, there must be a removal and oh, you have mm. to you have to know that that's probably the most painful thing. That's why they give us all those amazing mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> things that knock us out. Yeah, yeah. But but in this moment and in every discussion like this one, I always say, stay on the table. Mm. Let let God do the surgery. He's doing something in us individually and as a people. Mm -hmm. Oh, Cheryl, I, I don't even know how to start because there's so much we can talk about. But one of the things you said, um, we've been given like to much whom is given much is required. Mm -hmm. And I remember a post you put on Instagram months ago now, where you said, uh, leaders, I'm watching you. I'm seeing how you're using your platform. This isn't I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'm seeing how you use your voice. And I'm watching and we see, and you also challenged people that if your church isn't talking about race right now and inequality and injustice, then you need to, you need to really think twice about that church. So, I mean, those are big statements. I, I'm putting words in your mouth, but so correct me if I'm wrong. And it's funny because the, that was literally um, George Floyd had been executed slowly because that's, I mean, let's not, let's not, we could paint a brush, but it was yeah. an execution. We saw his life bleed out eight minutes and 46 seconds. We all watched it around the world, heard the cries, the call for his mom, mama, mama, all of that. And, and instantly I felt what every person feels in church or outside. I, I can't speak to this. It's too much. I, mm -hmm. I don't even have the words. There's nothing I can do to make a difference. This is happening, whether I'm involved or not, I am overwhelmed and feeling powerless. And I was troubled the entire day and I could not rest. And my family, thank God for a praying family. I, my kids are, they all love the Lord. They're all like in a nice, close relationship. And so they were like, we sense something's wrong. Uh, do you want to like, just just pray about this. And I was like, okay, let's just pray. And instantly all of us felt, mom, you have to say something. Well, I didn't know what I was going to say. I literally came down to my studio. They turned the lights on and I waited. There's like a good minute and a half element of silence that we had to cut. Cause I just stood there like this. <laughs> and then it hit me. And I think the first thing I said is dear non-black faith leaders say something. Who knew that our voices are so needed in this moment like they are now. That was at the beginning and that video went viral, 20,000 views. And <clears throat> I went to marches later on where Korean, Italian, Greek, uh, South Asian pastors were walking up to me saying, thank you. You challenged me in a moment where I almost felt like I just need to let this moment pass by. Mm -hmm. But God knew, God knew that this moment wasn't passing by, that it was only gonna get much bigger. And so our voice is needed in this moment. And how, 
okay, some really simple questions. So somebody hears that and says, but how do I use my platform? What do I know? So I might even say that, like, I'm trying to learn, I'm listening to you, I'm listening to people. Um, and I almost feel guilty for having to ask you this question. <laughs> but like, how do we use our platform? So you said, say something. So, okay, say what, say something, help us understand what that means. Absolutely. You know, it's so funny because I'm just pulling it up right now. Um, <clears throat> this is a moment that is crying out for allyship. If if you're wondering how you can play a role or or what it is that your BIPOC friends and family need from you, uh, more than ever, we need allyship. And I, I took the time to break it down into an acronym, uh, Ellen. I hope it'll help your listeners mm -hmm. kind of bite size, right? It's, it's perfect. It's a, you know, it's a big elephant, bite-sized, mm -hmm. right? Bite-sized pieces. Uh, so A, um, we're asking that you acknowledge racism in your own world. Uh, whatever corner of God's green earth that you get to live on and call home. What we're asking is that you acknowledge it in, in discussions and conversations, in jokes that are off color, in ill treatment of your coworkers, friends, church members, that you acknowledge it, that you see it and don't turn a blind eye. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the next L is what we're doing right now, the, the listening to one another. So we're asking that you listen to divorce, diverse voices and what they actually have to say, because it's their lived experience and they can teach you uh, probably more better and in more detail than you can learn from any book. Um, the other L, I think you cannot do one without the other, and that's learning. This is a this is a real season of learning. Now, uh, it, it may be if you're a reader, grab some books. There's some great books out there right now, and I can provide a reading list to you later, Ellen, that we could throw up. Uh, there's some podcasts, some voices that you should be dialing into. Um, you know, we're asking you to listen uh, and, and learn about racism through articles uh, from BIPOC speakers and teachers. The why is important. And Ellen, you're so good for this why, and there are many pastors that I'm applauding in this season. Yielding space, mm -hmm. yielding space to these uh, diverse uh, voices, BIPOC voices, to share their heart, to encourage, to let you know important things. Like, I'm just dropping this here. Like, we're not angry. We don't mm -hmm. hate you. We want change. And we want, we need you to do this together. And sometimes you just need that first person perspective. Mm -hmm. And so it's about yielding right now space. And, and yielding lastly to you is saying that I don't know all the things, mm -hmm. right? I don't know all the things. So uh, pastors allowing a Sunday for, um, a, 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 you know, a lay person who you know can preach that word and give context and, and speak to the situation. We have to be relevant. We, you know, we are the salt that gives flavor to the world. We have to be relevant and, it's, and salt without its savor is useless. So we mm -hmm. must be those that can speak to the issues of the day. S, which is brilliant, I think, is, is we need you to just stand alongside us. What does that look like? That just means aligning your heart with ours. You know, um, what, what grieves us, it, it should grieve yours. What mm -hmm. seems wrong should seem wrong. Uh, to you as well. You know, we're asking that if you stand with us, then you will feel with us, then you will, you will mourn with us, and then you will walk with us mm -hmm. in unity. You'll be prov provoked to good works, right? Um, H, this one's important. Uh, we want you to help push the needle forward, not by just saying, I'm not racist. And we do this. I just need to camp here for a second. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not racist, so I'm not part of this whole equation. But it's not enough anymore to not be uh, not racist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. The, gram the yep. grammar is getting funny. It's it, we are, you know, I, God is calling us all uh, up higher. We're, we're feeling this sort of pulling up of our sleeves. Uh, we're all being called into this, uh, this march. It's about being anti-racist. And that's a different mm -hmm. stance. That is, I am looking for all of the racist structures and places and spaces in my life. And I'm looking to silence them, to cancel them, to stop them, to address them. Like I, I am anti, I, I am not for this and I will mm -hmm. do everything in my power to change the narrative. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, we're winding down. I, it's good. 
Uh, is it good? Is it, is it, helpful? it is, this is helpful. This is helpful. Okay, good. So we just got two more. So I, for those who are of faith, cause you know, we may have different people of different faiths listening to the, the podcast. We ask you to pray. You know, we ask you to pray with us. I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm a church girl and I do believe that prayer does change things and where our words fail us because words do have an expiration date. They, they can only go so far. That's where we need God to step in. And so we're mm. asking you to pray. Uh, I'm seeing so many prayer meetings, so many gatherings about this. And then P, and this one, we, we can, it's a good jump off point to go to other places. Um, and, and you know who, this, this, everything is divine timing, Ellie, even this mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fresh 24 hours, it's the day after, you know, for just to timestamp it for those listening, after the decision of the indictment uh, for the police officers that murdered Breonna Taylor. We need the allyship to not be performative. There were so many people during that 100 and I think I put it up there, um, uh, it was 198 days, I believe uh, we're saying and no justice. Everyone had uh, justice for Breonna, 194. Justice for Breonna, um, hashtag Breonna Taylor. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is more than a meme. And this is more than a trend, and this is more than a moment. We we don't need performative allyship. We need authentic allyship. Those who are willing to put skin in the game. The Good Samaritan wasn't the Good Samaritan because he said, oh, gee, you got beat up, so sorry, poor you. That story would not be be recorded for all of eternity, like all of life for us to read. It's noted because he went the extra mile. He picked him up, he dressed his wounds, he carried him to an inn, he paid for food and lodging and said, when I come back, if there is a debt, I'll pay that too. So allyship, like the Good Samaritan, it costs something. You have to be willing to put skin in the game. Uh, You cannot be comfortable and desire change. Those two things don't go together because the need to change will bring some discomfort of some level. And I'm done. <laughs> Thank you for uh, your time. Yeah, it, it is so helpful for us to hear that. And I think because, again, it's that what does being an ally really mean and how do I do this? And to encourage you, it's a little discouraging, but also encouraging. You know, one of the groups that I get to work with, one of the ministries I get to work with, they're having the conversation saying, our board is not inclusive. How do we change even our board to include more people who don't look like middle-aged white guys? And not that middle-aged white guys are bad. I'm married to one. But, you know... But at at the same time, we do need to, this is an intentionality that didn't exist a year ago, even in some of those small changes and just saying, and acknowledging it, like that very first point, the A, if we can't get any further, acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, one of the, one of the most painful things um, we are experiencing right now, uh, even, and I've got thick skin, you have to be as a leader, you, you just, you've got to, you got to let it roll mm-hmm. off your back. And um, I've had, I've had all sorts of um, thoughts and comments on both sides, but you know, I, you, you have to just know, this is just an encouragement to someone when you are called to a task, know that you know that you know, that that's the thing you're doing because so many things will come along the way to deter you and discourage you and you just have to stay focused. And so I'm staying focused, but I do stop for a pause when I experience racial gaslighting. And I'll tell you what that is. Mm -hmm. Racial gaslighting is saying to someone that their experience is not their experience. Right. Um, uh, And, and, and racial gaslighting looks like, um, stop making a noise, stop complaining, there's nothing wrong, there is no racism, uh, you, know, you know, and stop being, like, don't be angry and don't be hurt and dictating how we should navigate and lament in this moment. I put it, I, it here's a great analogy. It's stomping on my foot with a nail that you've kind of put conveniently at the end of your boot and mm-hmm. you're stomping on my foot with the nail in public and you are telling me don't you dare open your mouth. Mm. And I'm, and I'm being felt to, um, I'm, I'm being made to feel wrong and, um, and disruptive for yelling, ouch. Mm. 
mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so there, there's this whole mm -hmm. thing over here, like, you know, I don't understand what all the anger is about. Just, just you know, protest and don't be angry. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't see the racism. Or my favorite is this one, and and, and I think we're we can all say ouch on this one. Um, oh, it can't be. It can't be just that. I, I've seen the video, but there must be another side to the story. If it was your son, would you think that there was another side? <laughs> right. There yeah. must be. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and we're here like, you know, yeah. oh, well, um, Jake, Jacob Blake was not a nice person. You know, he had a, he had a record. So does that, I, what are you saying? <laughs> that he, yeah. Yeah. he yeah. deserved to be shot in the back seven times on arm. Like, you know, no, that's, that's racial gaslighting. Yep. Yep. And in, and I mean, we're, this is mostly Canadian leaders that will be listening to this. And we have to remember that, again, we don't believe in capital punishment in Canada. So if he wasn't a good person, we still don't believe in that's how you treat people. So <laughs> we just don't. Yay, like, Canada. That's, good old Canada. That's, that's pretty basic now. OK, so I'm going to say something <laughs> that you can laugh at because I I read your your posts. Yep. So but Cheryl. All the examples we've just talked about are American. <laughs> Surely <laughs> the experience is different in Canada. Um, they're a tinderbox, not us. Canadians are so nice. Aren't they? They're just <laughs> the sweetest, <laughs> and we sweetest are. people. <laughs> we are, but I think I think what you have taught me, even through sharing what you share, is that your experience as the especially as a mother. Yeah. Um is the border doesn't change your experience. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and you know, and, and here's the thing. <clears throat> um, racism is a condition of the heart. It is not, I dare you to try to bound it up uh, and, and relegate it to geographical location. Oh, I'm sorry, this is the Canadian border. No racism here, friend. It doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, racism is something that people are taught uh, they are born with it. It's in their homes. It, it's it's something they've encountered. It's a decision they have made to hate a particular race or, or group of people. And we have that racism uh, here. I, I, I love you guys. I'm going to wake you up with the reality. Strap in, friends. Racism <laughs> is alive and well in Canada. Mm -hmm. It just looks different, Ellen. And Every few moments, it will rear its ugly head as bold and ugly and brazen as it is, like we see in the States, but many times it looks different. It looks, it's systematic in educational systems. It's in the hospital system. It's in the penal system. It's in everyday living. It's in getting businesses and, and it's trying to get loans. It's trying to buy property. It's, it's, it, it's very different, but it is alive and well. And, you know, I had, um, a nephew that experienced a very like newsworthy viral moment uh, went to take engagement shots with his lovely fiance uh, at a museum which we won't name now because there's a whole big uh, meeting and settlement that has happened but um, was profiled was literally just taking they looked gorgeous in their Nigerian um, cultural outfits and they were told that they needed a permit for a professional shoot they were surrounded by other lovely couples doing the same thing because it's a beautiful garden. And they said, oh, no, this is not a professional shoot. We're just taking a few photos for our engagement. And they said, no, it's a professional shoot because you're wearing a costume. Hmm. And so they said, well, this is not a costume. This is my actual, you know, uh, attire for my for my uh, for my native land. And in the exchange of asking, like, why is this a policy and why are you only directing this to us you have not spoken to anyone else and this is the thing their instant reaction which they have learned from our cousins they called the cops and mm -hmm. escorted them out like they were criminals a beautiful young and so they're they're one of the best most romantic beautiful days that they should have had of their life was ruined because we do not take the time to connect to learn to understand to appreciate each other's culture and then celebrate it. We can't even get to celebrating. Could you just mm -hmm. appreciate that there mm -hmm. are differences and can we live in harmony with that? Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I think one of the things that hides this a little bit in Canada, and I mean, this is... We're having a real honest conversation. We are, I, girlfriend. I, I love it. I grew and up, it's all love. It's all love. It, it is. And so I grew up on Vancouver Island and racism in, on Vancouver Island looks really different than racism in Toronto. So Vancouver Island, I will tell you that the one guy that was marginally black... <laughs> in our in our high just school, just a little, just a little. Yeah. Back. However, um, he was a rock star because, like, he was a rock star. However, if you were Indigenous, oh, or Southeast Asian, right, or Asian, so, uh, so it looks different in different parts of the country, and especially my family. Um, my mom and dad were both born in Alberta, and I will tell you racism towards indigenous people um, is it it's it is right there and blatant and so ask any first nations person if there's racism in canada and just sit down and pour coffee because you're gonna have a good long uh explanation of course there is of course there is and and something that actually taught my well dan and i both my husband dan and i watched the show first contact that was on aptn did you i don't know if you got to watch it no but but i heard about it (laughs) they took canadians um caucasian canadians of all different age groups and actually exposed them to indigenous culture oh wow and and it was interesting the the whole premise was um let's look at your beliefs that are racist that you don't even know are racist and let's try to give you some truth and uh and I realized that I even though I'd been raised very multicultural um not I would say I was not raised racist now I know different but um I wasn't raised that way I thought I had heard all of those things that people said over the years and I had never said anything about them being wrong. So you don't want to offend an uncle or, you know, someone who is very racist and you're like, well, it's not going to make any difference anyhow. So I, I take that and now I take it to the church. And um, you, your challenge was to church leaders. Um, how do we do this as church leaders? So, you know, there is always that uncle that we don't want to offend, even in the church, because we are family. You and I are family. So I need to acknowledge you and love you as my family member. Um, How do we start speaking truth in the church? Mm. Um, You know, I'm so thankful. Um, I have to say I'm going to use a very uh, personal story. Um, the church that I attend, shout out Sanctus, the church that I attend, um, I have to celebrate them because in the moment when the rubber hit the road, as, as many churches and church leaders, they had a moment of sorting through the decisions, like the roads, which way do we go? What do we say? Do we say anything? Uh, do we just pray and be silent? Do we get in and engage? And, you know, my church made the decision, the bold decision of no, let's, let's, let's talk about this because we, we want it gone in our church. Mm. And in order to, uh, to, you know, you think about racism as like the roaches of, of society, you lift the covers off and you shine the light of God right on it, you know, and just let that thing just scurry on out and so we had a sit down you know I, w- I was privileged to be invited to a sit down with another minister named Chris Chase pastor he's awesome at meeting house and we sat down and we we talked about it but from a biblical context mm. because you know it, you know our opinion even what we're doing here is good but as a believer if you're trying to move the church what does the word of God say about racism how how did Jesus live his life in re- in relations to uh, in relation to the oppressed and the marginalized, uh, did he stand for them? Did he advocate? Did he speak for them? Feed them? Love them? Uh, you know, do life with them? You know, the, all of our answers are there. Is there a moment that we can have a righteous indignation hmm. without it without sinning? Is there a moment that we could be angry at racism? and not feel like we're in this sin space. Well, Jesus flipped the tables in the temple. He was, he was livid that day because <laughs> of, of the mockery they had made his house. And, and there, there's a flipping of the tables 
that needs to happen. Um, in the right context, we need to say enough is enough. Um, and, and there's a verse that I'm paraphrasing. I'll say the right one first. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Uh, as, as you know, I just want every church leader to say, as for me and my house, we will love one another as ourselves. Like it has to be a mandate mm-hmm. in our house. And so mm-hmm. I encourage every faith leader who hasn't spoken about it. And may I say too, to every pastor that's listening that maybe has not rolled up their sleeves and stepped into this moment. If you have uh, anyone in your congregation that is BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, Latin, et cetera, South Asian, we are watching you. We are watching you and we are taking note of the silence because unfortunately, this is, this is the double-edged sword of silence. It may not be your heart space, but the silence looks like complicity if we don't mm. know any different. Your silence looks like, well, I'm okay with this. That's why mm. I'm not speaking out. And so don't let your silence be misinterpreted in this moment. Speak. Mm-hmm. Speak truth, speak love, mm-hmm. speak justice, speak the Bible mm-hmm. to this moment. And we keep hearing. So in this season of the podcast, I keep hearing from people that God is telling them to be still and to be present and to listen. Um, also, I see that people are fatigued and they're t- they're tired. Um, they're afraid. We still don't know what's going to happen next. But I wonder, I, I'm thinking of each of those leaders as they even look at their own organizations. Um uh, and I and I want I need to do this too. You know, we talked to Janet um, Noel Annabel, who is with Christian Horizons, and we talked about people living with disability and how they have gotten left behind in some of the conversation around COVID. I think we also need to be present. And say, okay, yeah, what about the other neighbors around me and our family members? Um, like this is we we are tired, but that doesn't give us a pass. <laughs> we still need to be present and be part of the conversation. Is that fair to say? Uh, more than fair to say. Um, this is, you know, the, this is what we were designed for. I mean, I mean, for those who are in the church, this is our, this is our mission. This is our mandate. We are to be the light in the darkness. We don't get to choose our days off. Uh, we're called to love one another, love our neighbors as ourselves. We can't cherry pick. Mm-hmm. which demographic to love. So we, we're looking for fine print that's not there. It's, it's, it's be a light. You know, it is, it is love uh, in the face of adversity, love. It is, um, you know, knowing that the heart of God is for unity and mm-hmm. for reconciliation and doing everything in our part to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that we're tired. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. I'm exhausted. We're all exhausted. Um, but there are people that are crying out and they're watching the world is watching and waiting and looking for the church to mobilize. And you have experienced an enormous amount of loss this year and still had to keep showing up. (laughs) I, you know, I didn't want to say that because it's not about me, but I, you know, now that you brought it up, um, since COVID started in March, like since we, we were quarantined in yeah. March. Uh, I've experienced four deaths in my family, four deaths. And, uh, and, and one was COVID related. Uh, the other ones were uh, other, other pre-existing conditions. Um, it, it has really wiped me out. And when I think I can catch my breath and come above water, I get pushed down again. And all of that happening with this moment that we are in. Mm-hmm. We haven't even talked about COVID and just quarantine and, and uh, loss of income, you know, as a speaker, mm-hmm. and that's a real thing, you know, mm-hmm. ministers that are not ministering and pastors that are, that don't have congregation, like there's just, there's a loss of, fine, there's a lot of loss. And, and, and the grief is on many levels. And with all of that, I had every excuse to say, uh, I'm white flagging, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm out. Uh, too much. I'm bleeding internally. I need to go and deal mm-hmm. with that. But I really believe that when you are called to leadership, you have signed up to live a life outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. You have signed up to live a life outside of yourself, which means I have dedicated my life to the greater good, to serve humanity. 
And if humanity is crying out and broken and people are looking for direction and encouragement and leadership, then I have a duty in my own little world to do the thing that I've been called to do. And that is to lead people in the right way because there's so many people, Ellen, that are leading people down hatred and violence and anger and let's burn this place down. And mm-hmm. I, I, there has to be those that will stand mm-hmm. and say, we can do this. You know, Martin Luther King was that beacon of light. There is a better way. There is a better way. And God is with us in this way. We can do this through love. I just need the church to wake up. We've been asleep. We are that slumbering, as the Bible says, a watchman at the gate. And we Mm -hmm. need to sound the alarm, Ellen, and wake up, Mm -hmm. wake up and mobilize and just be what we've been called to be. And so, yeah, I've had to lay my stuff aside as every good leader does. Mm -hmm. And and you don't talk about it because, you know, we are never the ones that people check in with. (laughs) No, it's true. Yeah. I no, like I'm it's very rare that I've had the hey, are you okay? I've I've got to say my church has been awesome, you know, uh, checking in. But as a leader you know, we, we carry it alone many times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you can relate. Uh, yeah, I can. And I do. And I've seen you have, I mean, more than losses just in your family, but in the family who are or friends who are like family around you as well. And, and I think, I mean, there's something that we, we forget that me- our, we talk about mental health um, and about how it affects people in general. But I'm thinking in a time like COVID <laughs> and when all of this conversation is heightened around racism and you're faced with the world is hard for me, especially if you are Indigenous, a person of color, Black. Um, yeah. Could, is there anything you can share with us about how this affects the mental health? So I'm a Caucasian mental health, my mental health right now. I don't even know. Um, I'm, I care about it. I'm taking, I'm trying to learn self-compassion, but for a community that is different, looks different than me, is that mental health conversation or support even there? Cause this is like, how do you deal with all of this pain? Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be brutally honest with you in this moment. So it's probably going to end up being a soundbite. <laughs> I am really, I am concerned for my people. I really am. I am concerned because um, I, I can't speak for any other part of the BIPOC community as well as I can for the Black community. And what I know for sure is that every Black person lives with an unbelievable amount of trauma internalized, fear internalized, anger internalized, sadness internalized, grief internalized, and we carry it, and we carry it, and we carry it. And there's, every time there feel, there, there's a moment of, there is hope, there is change. We saw the marches, we saw people mobilizing, we saw the signs, we saw, we saw, we saw help coming. And it allowed us to breathe and think, okay, I don't have to fight. I can put my sword down. Other people of other nationalities were saying, we've got this, just take a breath. And then we see the injustice over and over again. And we realize this is not going to end. And this is never going to be fair for us. And where is the justice? Will it ever come? Will, will Will the vindication, will the, will the cries be heard? Um, that we are crying out in pain. And it is, it is a, such a weight. And the unfortunate thing is that we just don't go to our um, outlets, our, our, our ordained sort of government put in place outlets. The idea of going to a counselor, a therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, it, it's so foreign to us. Well, I, no, 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 I'm just gonna pray about it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm fine. Are you okay? Yeah. And we're just, and so we get the label strong. Oh, you guys are so strong, mm-hmm. but strong is strong. is not a great thing when you, when you are one layer of epidermis away from a breakdown, mm-hmm. one more scratch and you're done. And I feel that I feel like I'm always uh, carrying this woundedness and I never get a moment to truly grieve that because there are other griefs that are happening around. And so we are, we are struggling and there is a lot of mental um, health challenges, uh, depression, suicidal thoughts. It's just unreal, low self-worth, low self-esteem. Um, 
but we just we are you'll never see us in a uh, in an office in a clinical setting getting the help we need because um we just we just we feel like it's not it's it's not mm. a good thing we demonize it a bit mm -hmm. and and we think no 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 I don't need that I'm good mm -hmm. um where I love my all of my all of my white friends and sisters, I have so many white friends that I love so much. And they're like, oh, I don't feel great going to go have a talk. I'm thinking, mm -hmm. gee, that's <laughs> great. Uh, you had a bad week. Okay, I've had a bad life. Maybe I need to check into this. Um, so I encourage anyone that's listening uh, of color, um, our history is to carry pain and just to soldier it out. But um, we've seen where that has led us and we need to acknowledge that we are not, we're not okay. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. It's okay to have a moment of vulnerability and, and to get help. Well, and I see even in just what you said, which by the way, is vulnerable. And I've actually never heard anyone say that before. So I want to acknowledge that what you said is really powerful and holds a lot of weight because there's something very practical that leaders in nonprofits, in churches, in ministries across Canada can do. And that is number one, ensure that support is available for anyone on their, on their team who would be BIPOC. Um, I mean, that, that on that, I, you know what I'm actually thinking? I don't know. Cause I'm, a, I'm a white, you know what? I'm one of your white girlfriends. I guess I you are. I, I see a therapist. So, <laughs> uh, I know one therapist who isn't Caucasian. So how safe, number one, is it for people who don't look like me to see a therapist? It's another thing, it, it, you know, for us to have the, the, the level of care that we really need, we need that, um, that mutuality of, of experience. You need to understand uh, what's going on and be able to share that and live in that. We need... Uh, more people of color to step into those uh, spaces mm -hmm. and places. I, I wanted to say something else because I felt like, I feel like there's someone that's still like, well, uh, you carry a lot of trauma. What's the trauma? Mm. Um, you will never, it, it, I can't even explain this to you. And I hope that someone gets this until you see your people being slaughtered on the news every single day, until you see innocent lives taken away, until you hear people criminalize the innocent to justify that their death is, uh, it, it was needful. Until you fight in a justice fight for 194 days and pray and fast and hope and cry and, and, and lobby and do all the right things and petition and, and see that more care and more concern was given to walls and property and damage and nothing done for the murder of a life. I mean, the messages that we are getting every day from media, from the news are that our life doesn't matter, that it is, it is, we are, we are dispensable. We are not of value. And so that takes a toll. Yesterday, uh, I have a bonus son. Uh, he's, he's like, he's an adopted son of mine. And uh, he was over for a few days, Alan, just real quick, and uh, nothing major. He was over for a few days. We had a wonderful time. He asked for a drive to the go, very simple. And so my oldest, Malik, drove him, who's older than him. They went to the go around 8 o'clock. What I didn't know was that they made a decision on their own uh, to let one of the trains pass by because we're way out in the boonies. And the next one was in an hour. So they went to get a bite, had a coffee caught up his brothers and decided to take the next train. I called at 8.30, no answer. 8.45, no answer. 9 o'clock, no answer. And unlike any other parent who is not of color, I wasn't just thinking about his welfare. I thought, oh God, did he get stopped by the cops? Mm. Like, did he get stopped? He's a young black man. We don't even want them driving at night. I, I've taken his passport when he went to Windsor University. He went there for four years, Ellen. We took his passport. He was so angry with us. We did not want him to cross the border and go into Detroit. These are realities that people cannot understand. I fear for my children every time they are not in my presence. 
And mm -hmm. that takes a toll on the body and the mind and the soul. I carry that trauma. Mm -hmm. And when I say to people, don't worry, this one will be different. Her life will matter and the injustice will be served and it isn't, and it isn't, and it mm -hmm. isn't, and it isn't. That takes a toll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of and it. Oh, Cheryl, <laughs> we could talk for hours. I will just say that as a mother also, um, I want to be one of those who can make a commitment that would say, I will look out for your kids too. I don't, I don't want them to have to have somebody to look out for them. <laughs> but uh, you know that if nothing else as leaders, we can say, I will look out for, you know, as a fellow mama, especially female leaders, I will look out for your kids and, and to figure out what that even looks like. That is a basic thing that says I'm coming along. I will lift you up a little. <laughs> That's sisterhood. That's the power of sisterhood. Mm -hmm. And ever, and, and, you know, I saw a sign real quick. Um, there was a, 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 a white mother, beautiful. She was pregnant. Um, and she had some of her kids with her. It was a, one of the protests and she had a sign that said, I heard George Floyd call for his mama mm -hmm. and I came mm -hmm. at you know at the base of humanity we have we can share mm -hmm. the, that that experience as women that you know I, I love that I will look out for your children we are mothers at the end of the day mm -hmm. and it takes a village to raise a child and so mm -hmm. you asked at the beginning of this talk what can I do that right there is the world for me mm -hmm. Cheryl, I don't know what I can do and what I can say, but I will always look out for your kids and I'll, and I will always do everything in my part to make sure. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that's what we mm -hmm. need. Mm -hmm. yeah. You got me all emotional. What's going oh. on? <laughs> I never cry on podcasts. <laughs> Ellen Graf Martin. I'm sorry. Well, I called your entire name. <laughs> Melinda did it too. When she did an interview with me, we talked about adoption and that it's the mother heart. I tell you. So, I mean, our new normal, we talk a little bit about this kind of our new normal or our next normal. Um, what does it look like for you as you go forward? Hmm. I'm going to surprise everyone. And I'm going to say that the new normal, it looks like, it looks like hope in darkness. It looks like a glimmer of light in the fog. I have to think that. We all have to believe that. Let's never lose that. Mm -hmm. The new normal, um, it, it looks like it looks like ministry from my phone, from my laptop. The platforms are all gone, the crowds are gone. It's just me and uh, maybe earphones, maybe not. Mm -hmm. But minute, my ministry, I recognize now, had nothing to do with the externals and the and the spaces, the real estate, the physical. It's 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 the word that's got that God's given me in my heart. It's 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 what I've been called to do, and so I encourage people um, to pivot, to pivot in this season. You may feel like you have gotten a pause and a stop, and things look different, and you're off kilter. But um, there's some new, wonderful, creative things that are happening. Um, what can you do uh, still in your space with what little you have? And I think we're the new normal looks creative. Mm -hmm. It looks uh, industrious. It looks um, it looks like uh, it, it just looks like imagination. It looks like how can I do what I do uh, with all the things that I used to be able to do them with. Um, and, and make this work. Um, but outside of my ministry, I think the new normal looks like allyship and it looks like an awakening, an awakening. And uh, it looks like restoration. I'm gonna say that by faith. Mm -hmm. It looks like reconciliation. And I pray that it looks like repentance where there needs to be repentance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the areas that we've fallen short. I am believing for a brilliant, loving, um, uh, unified future for my, for my kids. I want that new normal. Don't you? I do. I want that for my kids. And c can I tell you, this, this tells you a little bit about me, how excited I was at the beginning of this school year when my daughter got to go back that in her tiny little Catholic school, there are two black families now. 
<laughs> so I tell you, and one of the kids is in Carly's class, and I will tell you that she, I, I felt like we won when she came home and told me there was a new boy in her class and told me his name. And I said, and I knew who it was because I had seen this family coming into the school. And I said, tell me about him. And she said, he's a really fast runner. He's good at soccer. He's funny. He wears glasses. And she didn't say his color. No. And I said, and and then she said, and he has black hair. I love it. And I just was like, yay. That's the new normal (laughs) where our skin is not our our first identifier. Come on. And this is, and this is what I say to that little boy. And I say it to me all the time. I, 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 the world or a certain demographic may look at me as less than honey. I'm not less. Than. Oh no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to believe anything no. that you think about no. me. And so, uh, so we reject the false stereotypes, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I love that your daughter is just, she's not falling prey mm-hmm. to these negative mm-hmm. stereotypes good yeah. for her but that's a result of you there's oh, the education there's the pouring in we're we're trying and again so i i think we want to go back to that so i remember acknowledge listen learn learn yield yield mm-hmm. stand by us help push the needle forward towards anti-racism intercede for us which means stand in the gap if you pray pray if you want to just speak out speak out and p not to be performative but to be an authentic ally mm-hmm. when the lights are off when the trends are gone when it when it's not a public thing when it doesn't advance you still mm-hmm. stand for us mm-hmm. so good now cheryl where can people find you if they want to connect because they should be following you on instagram because they will learn and they will be challenged and it'll be good Oh yeah, I live to inspire. I, I use my platform as uh, as something that really uplifts uh, anyone that's watching. Uh, my name, at Cheryl Nemhard, C-H-E-R-Y-L, N-E-M-B, B is silent, y'all, H-A-R-D. Uh, and my Facebook and Twitter are all my same name. So you can find me pretty easily. Oh, Cheryl, thank you for choosing to do this today. You didn't have to. And I'm really grateful that you chose to invest in us as leaders to help us do better as we move forward so that so there is hope that there, there is, is hope. hope. The future looks hopeful, friend. Yes, it does. Right. Thank you again, Cheryl. And I know everyone will enjoy connecting with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. Graf Martin is Canada's leading integrated marketing and communications agency for nonprofit organizations seeking to do more good. If you need an agile, full service marketing agency to move your organization forward, we get it. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more and schedule your free consultation so that you can do more good. 